0: Welcome back to another week of In The Ballpark. It is me, Surpers, along here with Frizy, the great, great umpire, who will have a lot to say this week as its umpires have been in the spotlight and, of course, our stat man, Maxi, who has a hot, fresh statistics for us today. Gentlemen, welcome. And how are we feeling after the first week of finals?
1: Gents, here we are and look, uh, four finals matches down. I think... Uh, the expectation of four close games, unfortunately, didn't quite go to plan. I suppose it never does, but um, with the Swans and the Giants obviously being the only one there that you'd, you'd call a thriller, um, the others at times sort of had more of a more of a fizzler element, uh, didn't they, to them? Um, I think there were no major surprises uh, on the whole. Obviously, three very disappointed Bombers here. Um, but nonetheless, look, it does set us up for, I still think, two cracking semifinals following that. Um, but, of course, there are still quite a few talking points, even though the games were more or less decided, I suppose, by, by the, the the start of the second half, you might say, guys.
2: Yeah, <laughs> pretty depressing for an Eston supporter. I think um, I spent Monday, I just tried to not look at any football posts or any of the Monday footy shows or anything. I just stayed clear of it. Yesterday, I did pretty much the same until about the end of the day. I started to come around. You know, things aren't all too bad, but we're getting back into it. But yeah, it was a pretty rough weekend for us supporter sir.
0: I'm very glad that we didn't record this on Monday because I think I would have still been quite flat, uh, quite raw. It's, it's difficult, obviously, watching your team, particularly at halftime, gentlemen. We were only three points down, looking pretty good. And then as we've mentioned off air, the rain came and so did our hopes of winning that game. And As Fryzy, you alluded to at the start of the program before we went on air, you mentioned that, you know, we're going to look back at the history books and it's going to say 49 points to the better of the Bulldogs. But in all reality, it was a much closer game, even at three quarter time, three goals in it. I know in wet weather that can be a bit deceiving, but yeah, dogs won big in the end. But wasn't as thrilling as, let's say, the first week of finals that we had last year where there was a lot of very, very close results.
1: Yeah, that's right, lads. I'm not really sure yet exactly what to to make of it entirely. I suppose a few points from it that are probably things that we we knew already and that Melbourne do look like the team to beat. Not that Brisbane weren't competitive. In fact, they were for most of it. Can I just add as well that that was an electric start to that game mm. on Saturday night, that first quarter. Nine goals uh, in total looked a, looked a ripping game early on. Then to see Melbourne sort of just pull it back a bit more, to the the style that they like it you know a little bit slower more defensive and that that clearly worked in their favor so as we sort of touched on last week unfortunately for the long suffering fans home preliminary final yet it's not in melbourne really shouldn't be that way and it's and it is quite devastating for them you know it was one thing to even get to a prelim three years ago of course that was on the road so now that we're here and uh it's it's unfortunately got to be like this it just had to be this year, didn't it? But uh, was I suppose from from the four games on the weekend, boys, was, was, was there anything that took you by surprise at all? Look, I got to
0: say, one thing that did take me by surprise was how many Sydney Swans slash South Melbourne supporters either somehow snuck through the border in Tasmania, joined me on the swim in Port Melbourne to get to Tasmania or... We're already living in Tasmania. Were you guys surprised how many Sydney Swan supporters were at that final?
2: Yes, in short answer, but I think I think we saw it with Essendon earlier in the year when we played Hawthorne. There's probably a lot of teams who don't play too many games in Tasmania, and when their team is actually playing in Tasmania, they all turn out because there might be only one of the very few times that they actually get to see them live. So perhaps that's what we were seeing with the Sydney derby in Tasmania
1: on the weekend. Following that, we now see. Uh, the Giants go 3-0 up in the finals history between the two teams. There you go. I suppose, though, fellas, what you might take away from this is, in fact, the two teams who were eliminated and uh, their season 2021 won't go any further. The, the, the theme there with both the Bombers and the Swans is that, well, you might look at that and say, hey, at least – their their rapid rise this year is something that they'll no doubt be super impressed with internally. I know their season isn't going on any further, but uh, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't take too much away from either of those sides, given uh, that the noticeable improvement this year, perhaps uh, in an instance where not everyone expected it either. Both teams had incredible seasons,
0: and you know if Sydney got through to this next week and were playing Geelong this week, you'd have to say that with some of GWS's key outs, but Sydney would have been in really good shape coming into this week's finals. And I think they could have done some serious damage and potentially even got to a prelim with this team, but they've still got so much growth and it's going to be very exciting for South Melbourne and Sydney fans going forward. And as for the Dons, it's obviously tough having another big defeat in the finals, but at the same time, it was almost a bonus just being there and, it was, it was a great week being able to soak up that atmosphere. So it's still very special to have your team in the finals.
2: Yeah, I suppose at the start of the year, if we said that both Sydney and Essendon were going to play finals. Everyone would be surprised. But now that they actually got there, it's still disappointing to lose the games. Just on a Sydney point, um, I, th- I know they did have, was it Mills and who was the other one who was out? Josh Kennedy. And they're only a point short of the Giants. So... You know, it was probably it was probably even harder for them because considering how good of a season I told you last week the Giants defense was going to hold up it was a pretty it was a pretty it was a pretty amazing last five minutes it just it reminded me so much to that I think it was the 20 the 2019 prelim final that the Giants held up against Collingwood it. It was, just, it was almost exactly the same, where it was just inside 50, inside 50, and the Giants' defence just kept on rebounding and rebounding. But overall, it was a great year for both of the sides. But, yeah, disappointing finish in the end.
0: Weren't your hearts in your mouth when Buddy Franklin had it outside 50, almost a similar part of the ground to where he kicked that incredible goal in that elimination final. I think it was in 2007 or thereabouts. And you just thought, is Buddy Franklin going to do it again? Is the script written perfectly for him to kick this goal and get the Swans into the semifinals? And it just stayed right, didn't it, gents?
2: didn't have the usual buddy curve did it <laughs> but uh, he wasn't the only one who missed they had about four yeah. or five opportunities it seemed like the giants missed a lot of shots to that end in the third quarter and then the swans missed shots to that end in the fourth quarter so i don't know if there was a bit of wind going against them in that in that last quarter or Whatever, but I think the commentator even said it and everyone was thinking about it. it was a straight back to 2007 as soon as Buddy got it, but couldn't get it done.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. I must admit it was, it was the first thing I thought when he took that grab with a minute to go, just taking the, the memory straight back. I thought, here we go. Age is not a problem. He's going to do it again. Elimination final. He's going to get them through. And it, it, you almost, no matter who you wanted to win, you almost wanted that to happen. Just just um, even for that reason alone. But on the on the scoring side as well, incredible. You, you think that the Giants go on and win that game with only one behind in the last quarter. That, that's mm. quite remarkable, but still able to hang on, as you guys said. And, yeah, the other thing being as well, look, I, I'm probably stating the obvious here, but you, you, you've got to kick enough goals in in finals i suppose to you know assure your yourselves um of a chance and look going by friday night see the, the cats are pretty sure only ended up with five goals and of course as we know um the bombers on sunday none after half time, and only four for the match yet you, you're just not winning finals regardless of opponent with with four or five goals are you no
2: like we were saying before that I know everyone's going to talk about the Bombers' second half where they couldn't score, but I actually thought we were the better team in the first half and we didn't put enough scoreboard pressure on. So as good as Peter Wright's been throughout some games this season and Aaron Francis has looked promising, I don't think that forward line's going to kick enough goals in a final to win you a Premiership at the
1: moment. Essendon's, um, I suppose, inability this weekend to, to score. You know, two metre, Peter, seven goals against the Dogs last time. Now his own team didn't manage seven goals um, in the the corresponding game. And Where
0: do you guys see our improvement coming from next year? Do you think we can back up this season? Because 11 wins, 11 losses, it's a good season. Do you think we can back it up or do you think after a final we will potentially not make finals again? Because there are a lot of contenders, as we know, coming up the ladder. Obviously, the trade period will say a lot as well and, and whether we retain that first pick that we get. But... What are our priorities and can we, will we, get back to the finals next year?
2: Not only have we not won a final since 2004, but since 2004, we haven't played in back-to-back final series either, which is obviously another reason why we haven't won a final because you need to play in back-to-back final series to get that experience. And also, the more finals you play in, the more likely you are to eventually win one. But I think we're sort of in that group of... Um, I think it's St. Kilda, maybe Fremantle, even Carlton, as much as you hate it to say, you know, you think eventually they're going to improve, especially if they get a new coach, you can sort of bring the best out of their list. But we're sort of in that group of teams. And there's also, you know, West Coast and Collingwood, have, I don't think Collingwood will come back, but West Coast and Richmond, sorry, have also fallen out of the eight, who a lot of people will probably expect to make the eight next year, considering, you know, they'll probably rectify a lot of the areas that the errors that they made so not only have we got to improve again internally but we've also got to improve more than those teams who are around us as well as the west coast and richmond who are you'd think going to be come up, coming back into the eight but in terms of the areas improvement i think this year obviously our back line's done our back line's almost our strongest line at the moment as well as our midfield i think our midfield needs more time connecting and i think McGrath, Sheel and Caldwell all spent a lot of the time on the sidelines, but they have finished the season in good health, which means that they're going to go into the preseason healthy, hopefully without surgeries, which is a good sign. And hopefully that means that they can have a full pre-season and, you know, have good seasons going into next year. But as I said before, I think the big area improvement is the forward line. I don't know if we're going to try and bring someone in this year. All the whispers are that they're going to try and go to Ben King next year. Or if they put you know if they put Nick Cox forward maybe and they get Harrison Jones back hopefully that forward line starts to look a bit better but that's where I really see the big improvements is midfield more consistently with Caldwell and Shield and even McGrath spending more time in there permanently. And then our forward line's got a long way to go. 13th, 14th, 11th,
0: 15th, 11th, 13th. I'm not reading out the lottery numbers. I'm reading out the seasons after we make it into a final series. That's where we're finishing. So in all fairness, we're not bottoming out to bottom four, but we're not exactly, you know, just outside the eight or, on ninth or tenth. These are not great finishes after Finals. So let's hope we can get back there. And I agree with you, Maxie. I think that forward line definitely needs a fix-up. It's just that that pack, that, that, that,
1: sort of that web of teams where there's six or seven that really are fighting to get into perhaps two or three spots. It's sort of been that way for a few seasons now. And it seems like most of the time Essendon finds themselves part of that crowd. So mm. you could certainly see that that being the case again. I think Maxi's point about um, well, particularly Shield, but I think it also might apply to a few others too, in that a big preseason and um you know, restoring uh, to to one hundred percent there is critical.
0: I'm going to put it this way. I wouldn't be surprised if we finished outside of the eight. I wouldn't be surprised if we finished in that bottom part of the eight, as you said, Frizy, but I'd be very surprised if we finished top four. Uh, who knows? It'd be great to get a double chance going into finals and breaking that hoodoo, that's for sure. Similar to what Richmond did in 2017, but don't quite see the rise happening that quickly. But who knows? Potentially with maybe stealing an Alex Rance or a Marby Old shoal <laughs> or even a Daniel Talia, who knows? bit of experience. You just never know what's in store for us next year. Guys, just quickly, David Zaharakis wasn't offered a new contract. Do you think he's retired for sure? Or do you do you see him coming back somehow from maybe a different club? Or is the journey over for David?
2: First of all, what a great great Essen player. It seems like yesterday that we're in year six when um he kicked that goal on Anzac Day, had time flies, but just to say, like, he was an incredible player. Just a couple of times, Anzac Day medalist, I think that 2013 game where he kicked four goals, had 30 touches as standout, And how, it, like, a lot of times where he's kicked kicked match-winning goals, sorry. But um, whether he gets another go, I'm not too sure, to be honest. To me, he sort of looked like he was, you know, getting closer to the end for the last two, two or three years, to be honest. So whether another team wants to pick him up, I'm not sure. But,
1: yeah, he's had a great career at Essendon you pretty much summed it up. I mean, may never quite have the, you know, the personal accolades that perhaps he would have liked. Obviously, the Anzac medals are one thing, but uh, he may not have those, but he's certainly got the highlights. He's got many of them. Um, his his career really is uh, a, a, a constant highlight reel, I think, um, and, a, and a very, uh, very true uh, classic Essendon person all the way through, I think. So, um, you know, he also reached a, a level and a number of games that uh, most of us can only just dream of so uh, yeah important I think to not be too critical I think of, uh, of yeah what, what has been a great career.
0: Yeah I also think it was really good for his accolades as we mentioned that not only did he kick that amazing goal on Anzac Day and believe it or not that was his first ever goal so quite an amazing first goal in footy and at such a crucial time as well but As we mentioned, he went on a couple of years later to win that Anzac Day medal as well. So clearly anzac day was his favorite day to play footy so we absolutely love david zaharakis for that and we wish him all the best potentially in his retirement or at least his bombers days we absolutely love zaka on the show and hopefully one day we can get him on the show gents a
2: couple of other moments to stick out do you remember that a game against west coast where um i think we were down by a fair bit at half time and then we just kept on coming and kept on coming he, he was the one who kicked that goal that got us in front and there was also another one in, I think it was 2013 when we were in the midst of the supplement saga. The, the Blues win, that's right. Yeah, he kicked that he kicked that goal off the side of his boot. Where um, I think I think we only won that game by a goal, but that was a really good. I think it was a Friday night at the Cheek, big game, and he. So he's yeah, as I said before, he kicked a lot of match winning goals for us.
0: With Carlton currently having all of their turmoil at the moment, it feels like they've been having it for some time. I just remember the reactions after that goal straight to the coaching box where Mick Moldhouse was just about smashing his phone into smithereens. It was a, it was a great
1: sight, gentlemen. And they certainly had a bit of uh, experience and composure in that box coming up the blues, I think. So look no further than uh, <laughs> the man himself and in the ballpark Favourite. Sorry to get off topic there for a moment. It's not confirmed, but is it is it as good as? What do you guys think about Ross? Because there seems to be like a lot of Ross hate out there. Are you guys Ross haters or what? I I Friesy, is it? I, I always had the impression that this show is a collective, massive fan. I love of Ross. Even, <laughs> if, even if he never got that medal around his neck as a coach. Um, it wouldn't fit around his neck, Yeah. <laughs> He (laughs) He got to the big dance on multiple occasions. Um, If he ends up at the Blues, I don't know if he'll be able to achieve that again. But um, (laughs) I I, I just think it's it's probably unfair to say that the guy's not a capable coach. I mean, I think as well, I mean, we all know about the St Kilda Grand Finals, uh, particularly the draw. And, you know, Fremantle were only sort of two to three goals away as well. Um, I think he just didn't quite get things going his way on those particular days. But otherwise, like it, I think he, he ticks a lot of boxes
2: as a coach, does he not? I think I said this last week, but he ran one of the greatest teams that we've ever seen in Geelong to what, a goal, and then Max kicked a goal after the sign, so 12 points. And then he ran that great Collingwood team to a draw. I know they got flogged the next week, but... Still, to go down to two pretty good teams to a goal and then a draw and then come back the following week. As I said, well, I don't really understand why people sort of mock Ross. I know he's the last two years at Fremantle went great, but yeah, I don't, as an essence support, I know people sort of at some at times say, oh, well, he his scores – I mean, his sides don't score enough. Well, <laughs> as a team that's leaked a lot of goals over a long period of time, I'd happily have a, have a coach who's getting us into the top four who's playing defensive football.
1: To, to think of a, um, a potent scoring option at Port Adelaide at the moment, a small forward that uh, the Bombers might like to have, that they used to have, didn't Orazio uh, didn't have probably the, the kind of game that maybe just summed up his career? I mean, four quick goals and then off injured. And then he goes straight up. <laughs>
2: and you could see him talking to us. It must have been the physio. physio. Like, he's
1: like, I'm not going back on. I'm not going back on. I don't want to get injured. I don't want to miss preliminary final. I, I suppose on 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 their side, uh, the power, the pressure was just too much, wasn't it? Do you I don't know how much of this one you guys got to got to see live, but did, did the cats just just look a little bit a bit gun shy, a bit timid?
2: Mm, I thought they missed Tom Stewart. I think that was pretty obvious, but it was almost I think Port Adelaide ran over the top of them more than they did last year because I think last year what did they win by was it like a couple goals or something, and this this time they thrashed them, but it was pretty. It was a pretty similar sort of feel to the game, where you just thought, Port Adelaide are all over a and I can't see how Geelong are going to kick a winning score.
0: Since 2011, their record in qualifying or elimination finals is awful. They've only cool. one won one. You expect them to win this weekend, but still, it's an alarming sign, isn't it, guys?
2: We make fun of them for their qualifying final loss, but I'd rather be losing qualifying finals than elimination finals, as we are <laughs> as Essendon supporters, so that's that's the benefit of finishing top four most years as Geelong always do and getting that double chance.
1: I feel like it's it, it's almost probably since about then, 2012 or thereabouts, it's felt like the similar sort of conversations year on end repeated about the Cats, you know, the the list is too old, you know, they're going to miss their chance, all this thing. It, they may finally be approaching that point now with the state of their list, I don't know, but I feel like these conversations keep coming up and yet they, they keep bouncing back or giving themselves that chance again and again, even if they haven't been able to um, complete the deal, of course, in the last decade now. But they go away, they find perhaps two or three um, either stars or just good role players that they can trade in from elsewhere. Then who knows? They go and find some... Unknown uh, specimen from the Bush League or somewhere that no one's ever even considered. He's a rookie at pick whatever, just out of nowhere. They pay him peanuts at the start and he comes in and he's an instant star, basically. I don't know. They just know how to yeah. find these guys. They do it year on year. So the thing with these semi final wins that they seem to keep securing every time, it's almost like they come out that second week, a different side, a more desperate side. So for that reason, yeah, again, I'm, I'm still hesitant to put a line through on yet.
0: It looks very likely now that there will be a bye between the preliminary and the grand final. And Tom Stewart's been out on the track doing some very light training. Look, it's very unlikely that he'll get back, but hey, if they just keep extending these breaks, who knows? He could well be there. He could be there on one leg, gents, but he could well be there. Who knows? But I don't think that window's quite closed yet, but the alarm clock might just be going off ever so slightly because... I think internally for them, wouldn't the minimum requirement this year, would it be a grand final appearance again, gents, internally?
2: You'd think so, but looking at their draw now, they're going to have to go through Melbourne in a preliminary final. And, you know, watching the Demons play on the weekend, good luck beating Melbourne at the moment.
1: <laughs> as much as the thought of even a preliminary final like that uh, is, is quite appealing, yeah, as I, so I mentioned before, guys, on the Ds, I, they, they really are the, the team to beat, you know, it, only... Four losses, of course, during the home and away seasons. we know, all of which were by 20 points or less. Which teams of the remaining bunch can do it? Um, there, there might be only one or two, I think, that, that have that chance, perhaps.
0: While we're on the Ds, I mean, it's it's worth mentioning the longest flag droughts as we currently stand here in the competition. And they're number one, 57 years. So 1964 was their last premiership. St Kilda aren't too far behind them, though, 1966. So 55 years for them. And then... Oh, i got to love this. Carlton, equal third on that list, 26 years. So 1995. And then Fremantle, they haven't won one yet, so they're on 26 years. And then Adelaide, 23. So hopefully we don't appear on that list anytime soon, gents. But gee whiz, 1964, 57 years. If they get to a grand final, it's going to be in WA. So it's quite an incredible story. Fryzy, while I'm in direct line with you here, Toby Green was, again, another naughty boy on the weekend. And, look, I know the whole AFL, footy well, the media have been talking about it, but we have no better opportunity than having an umpire on our show live. So, Frise, I asked you, when you saw the incident, did you cringe a little bit? And what was your first initial thoughts? And what are you thinking now?
1: I think it's, yeah, it's not a good look. And while I know um, the the comments in the end from... uh, from the particular umpire involved, Matt, Matt Stavik, um, were essentially saying he he didn't feel threatened by it or intimidated anything like that. I can't remember the exact words. Um, but, you know, that is from a guy that's one of the most experienced and arguably the, the best in the business at his particular trade. So... There's that. Um, I know the AFL put in their their submission, if you want to call it that, to actually challenge the three week suspension. So I, I suppose, from a, a standpoint of respect uh, and um, you know treatment of umpires, it, 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 that's a good look. But even then, at a at a minimum, I mean, I mean, three matches. That's potentially it. Might not be now that he's not there, but it's potentially three finals there that uh, that he and just as importantly his team. Um, miss out on i yeah i'd love to know what what you guys made because i i personally thought it was probably avoidable contact and i suspect he may have known what he was doing um and this is even without factoring the guy's record uh with the tribunal even if pretend even for a moment that doesn't exist or you don't know about that um the incident in isolation yeah it
2: doesn't look great I love Toby Green. He's one of my favourite players to watch. I know a lot of people actually don't like him. I love watching him. But it gets to the point where it's just hard to keep on defending him and defending him and defending him after all of these incidents because he just keeps putting himself in precarious positions. You just want to grab him and think you're too good of a player to be doing all of this stupid stuff. So, you know, as much as I want him to play, like it's just – this incident was just too stupid not to not to suspend him. And I know some people were saying I think six weeks was probably closer to the margin, but I suppose if he's missing his first he's missing all of the final series, I think that's, you know, a sufficient penalty in the AFL. I know if he was playing probably local footy, it probably would have meant a lot more than that. But um I, as I said, it's just too hard to keep on keep on defending him. It must be frustrating for all of his teammates because In the year that they did make the grand final, he was also out for that. um, He missed the preliminary final getting suspended. So as good as a player he is, he just keeps on putting himself in stupid positions. So that's my thought on it. What do you think, sir?
0: I can't believe how much the media have been watching the incident over and over again, slowing it down, speeding it up, watching different angles. It's pretty clear cut to me. He deliberately hit the umpire. If you're a legal student out there and you're listening to our podcast, honestly, get behind his legal team. Listen to this, guys. 22 charges, seven suspensions for a total of 11 games, and $29,350 worth of fines. I mean, with 22 charges, I think a lot of those charges, he could have potentially missed games and he only got off with fines. So $29,000, some people on this planet haven't even seen that (laughs) <laughs> number, let alone half of it. <laughs> Seriously, cannot believe, you know, how many times he's had to be defended and, you know, how many times he's, he's gotten off and how many excuses we've made. And you're right, Maxie, he's such a good player and he's the closest thing right now in the final series to Dusty Martin and he's unfortunately going to miss the rest of the final series. So it's really disappointing for the GWS Giants who have all the momentum right now going into that Geelong clash. So, yeah, disappointing for the Giants, disappointing for him. But pull in your head, mate. Come on, you can't hit an umpire. And guys, I just quickly on this. Hypotheticals, of course, we're speaking, but imagine if that was Razor A that he hit into. I think they would have, I think Razor would have retired a little
1: bit. <laughs> Surps, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to throw this in at some point. Boys, I don't know if you got a chance to hear one of Razor's instructions to a. I think it was a Brisbane Lions player uh, on, the, on the weekend as well after awarding a freaky against him. Razor's there on the mark and in exact words he says to the Brisbane player, and he says, I need you to stand. <laughs> now, it, ordinarily it doesn't seem like much and it is just an instruction, but something about it coming from Razor um, in, that, in that tone that we, we know all about uh, with the way that he communicates, it is, it is quite entertaining sometimes. We know he's a born entertainer. Thought, thought you'd enjoy that one there. Can't imagine how different the situation might have been had it been a perhaps a different uh, umpire involved. Have you had any sort of experiences
2: with other players or potentially viewers on the sidelines who yell yelling abuse at you from an umpire's perspective?
1: Yeah, no, the, the abuse, as you can imagine, gents, is, is very common. Luckily, nothing in the way of uh, physical, uh, you know, altercations. I, I, I do know of a, a very rare one that might have come up once or twice in years gone by, but they're, they're they're very infrequent, and I think even I don't know this is what makes this such a particular issue, and why I think they're 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 cracking down on it so firmly as well is because I, I feel like even the the most frustrated, annoyed footballer knows that there's a there's almost a line there that you just don't cross. So that's probably mm-hmm. why that this has received so much attention. But Serbs, just to also. Um, Quickly touch on your uh, point there a moment ago I- i'm very surprised as well at just how much spotlight the the footage has had obviously being a final as well has probably only increased that but i i think i've probably seen it 20 30 times even just by accident um shown on on tv or internet or anywhere um very difficult to judge isn't it you know intent or what's going on even when you look at slow motion i mean these things happen in a couple of seconds very quickly and um yeah, I, I think uh, trying to trying to exactly uh, judge what the person's thinking or doing is is difficult. Even though, from, from and as I can see here from all of our perspectives, it looked pretty clear cut.
0: Now, gents, the team that GWS are playing on Friday night is Geelong, and this is going to be a great clash. Friday night footy, Geelong are playing the GWS Giants, gents. How do we see this game going? And do you give the Giants any chance of out-torbeck?
2: Well, considering that they beat um, the Cats a few weeks ago at the Cattery, um, and I think they had how many? They had like seven or eight of their best players out that day. So did, I can't remember if Toby played that game. I think he did, but considering all the other players that they had out of that stage, there's no reason why they can't. However, I think we say this every year. There's always, you know, the every, after the first week of finals, everyone's always down on the team that lost the qualifying final, and everyone's always up on the team who won the elimination final, but. As we said before earlier in the show, I think Geelong's record in semi-finals is very good. And as good as the Giants were, I, I just backed Geelong as a, as a club, considering their good record finals history, that they'll get it right this week and rectify the all there is that they made against Port Adelaide. It's also the Jeremy Cameron Cup, so it'd be interesting to see if there are any fireworks in that game. But um, yeah, I think the Cats will get this
1: one. The Jeremy Cameron Cup it is, and it just happens to be a sudden death final how about that uh yeah worth touching on that win by the giants only a few weeks ago down at Geelong i mean they're incredibly difficult to beat there so if they can get the job done there who knows what that means going to take Geelong just as a early call and obviously a bit of that is the the Toby Green factor this is interesting one though i also see for mine the Cats as a far more vulnerable uh, straight-sets candidate, perhaps compared to the Lions, which we'll get to that game after as well. But, uh, yeah, for mine, I'm taking them just on the basis that we know what the second week of finals seems to bring out of them. I think they will be hurting from last week's uh, showing and, as a result, very hungry, I think. As you mentioned, Maxie, the the Jeremy Cameron Cup
0: or also the Josh Hunt, Stevie J and... Shane Mumford Cup as well. There's been a few players that have crossed in between those two clubs and there are probably more that I'm missing out on. But, well, you know what, guys? Last time I was the only one that didn't tip GWS. So I'm going to be the only person that's tipping GWS. I'm going to tip them and they're going to win by 40 points. 40 points, Jesus. 40 points. They're going to blow this out. They're going to demolish the Cats.
2: Some upset Cat supporters if they lose by 40 points, Garrett, in straight sets.
0: Now let's move on to the second semi-final in this weekend's fixture. And it is the Brisbane Lions who are potentially staring down a straight set exit when they come up against the Western Bulldogs, who is aside in the home and away season. Ended up beating them and bit them by a fair bit, but albeit the game was on Mars, gentlemen.
1: Mars <laughs> Stadium. Very, very smooth, sir. Very smooth. It's going to be an away final. I guess for most teams, it's an away final regardless um they do get the benefit here of home so i'm i'm gonna go for them and i i want to say comfortably um but it, look maybe more like the four to five goal mark is a bit more realistic because you know we we know what the dogs can bring to the table especially what we saw earlier in the season so it but you'd be a fool to say that they're no chance mind you definitely going with the conservative option here guys in the uh in the second match of the the week We've had the Jeremy Cameron Cup, so here we've got the, oh, I don't know, I suppose the Stephen Martin Cup.
2: <laughs> I, I find this one really, really difficult to tip because I think um, the Dan McStay obviously won't play after getting concussed pretty badly from that knee. From his, I think it was Nakia Cockatoo.
0: Dare I say it, and I hope I'm not saying this too soon, but when they said Nakaya Cockatoo is an X-Factor, I didn't think the X-Factor would be smacking one of your mates uh, <laughs> with a knee in the head. <laughs> yeah.
2: watching that second half where I think it was back to Joe Danaher playing pretty much one out and I know Tom Fullerton's there but he's to be fair he's probably not a really dangerous option and I just thought Brisbane in the second half they didn't really look that dangerous going forward I think the Bulldogs midfield really started to get going in that second half and retrospectively looking at it now it's easier to say this but I think that Port Adelaide game in round 23 they were fairly competitive so I'm actually going to tip the Bulldogs in this one because I think Brisbane are going to really struggle to score. With I, was, I, t- I said last week as well that I thought Stephen May would play really well on Joe. Um, so I think he usually struggles when he's, he's the one out forward and Stephen May does have a pretty good record on him. But if they can shut down both Danaher and Charlie Cameron, I sort of struggle to see how Brisbane are going to kick a winning score because they've got Hipwood out and now McStay out as well. So... If the Bulldogs can shut those two players down, I, I see the Bulldogs sort of matching it in the midfield, and the Bulldogs look pretty dangerous going forward against the Bombers. So, I'm tipping the Bulldogs in this one.
0: I've got the deciding tip. It's a tough one because the the doggies played really well, particularly in that second half, and they actually got goals out of Josh Shackey, believe it or not, who is playing against his old club. So it's also the Josh Shackey Cup. Which is right? oh, <laughs> it's quite amazing, and I think what Justin Sherman. Game. Do you remember him? Justin Sherman. <laughs> yeah. Oh. That is a great get. Well done. I couldn't believe last week Lockie Neal got over 40 disposals. And I think I was admiring Melbourne and just how much control they had in that game. But I wasn't really realising just how many disposals Lockie Neal got, but mm. you know, he's, he's back to his, his absolute best, and I think he's going to be a real danger, and particularly if he can hit the scoreboard as well for Brisbane. I do see them winning this game. Fascinating to see how Joe plays, but I am tipping Brisbane in this. I know Fry's is and Maxie's going with the potential upset of the Doggies winning, but it's definitely not beyond them here. And just finally, Craig McRae has been announced, the Collingwood Football Club coach, a job that – a fair few experienced coaches ran the other direction. And now, speaking about the Brisbane Lions, gentlemen, isn't it ironic that Craig McCrae was one of those Brisbane Lion players in the in the early to mid-2000s
1: that was sinking the Pies spirits and now he's the head guy. Will he sink him again for Isaac? As a Pies fan, you think he's a guy that... Uh... Gave us nightmares with some of the goals he kicked in those couple of grand finals. Now he's the main man, front and centre, in the polo shirt, ready to go for 2022. It seems like an appointment of a guy that's got the experience, uh, the credentials. I mean, it's it's Collingwood. You know, they're, they're a massive club that demands success. We know that. They're, they're not just going to go forth and uh, appoint a guy who they don't think is suitable but there you go, guys. Uh, interesting to see that, uh, yeah, some of those perhaps those bigger names, the more notable types that have had, perhaps got the senior coaching experience under their belt didn't perhaps uh, jump at this job, as you mentioned, Serbs. So And just looking at his experience, he has been around for quite some time, gentlemen. He
0: started his coaching career as a development coach at Richmond after his playing days in 2007 to 2009. He's been at the Brisbane Lions as a development coach. He's been at the Collingwood Football Club before as a head of development. And then he went back to Richmond from 2016 to 2019, and he was their successful winning BFL head coach in 2019 when they won the flag there. So, and then he went back to the Hawthorne Football Club. So he's, he's he's had run-ins with Alistair and maybe run-outs with Alistair. And now he is the 2022 Collingwood Football Club senior coach. So he's definitely been around for some time. And he's got quite a few good creditations as well, as we mentioned there. The 2019 VFL Coach of the Year when he took Richmond to that VFL premiership. And that was, of course, the one where Marlon Pickett was going absolutely ballistic and got his first grand final as well. So clearly Craig McRae, is a good people's person. And Maxie, does it surprise you that he wasn't mentioned earlier?
2: Seems like a complete contrast between how Collingwood and Carlton have approached this. Carlton sort of looked like they've just gone out to headhunt Alistair Clarkson and now that he's not available, we'll just go and get Ross Lyon. Whereas Collingwood seemed to have gone through... Um, a pretty long process. I think he said that it lasted six to eight weeks. And I heard originally there was something like a, a short, uh, not a short list, a long list of like 90-odd names and obviously is the last man standing. But as he said, I think he's had experience under Lee Matthews, Alistair and Damien Hardwick, and he also spent some time at the Melbourne Storm under Craig Bellamy. So um, obviously he's learned a lot of, over those four under those four blokes. So as far as he said earlier, only time's going to tell whether or not this is the right decision.
0: And gentlemen, just before I let you go, should we have the grand final on the 18th of September or the
1: 25th? 18. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We don't we don't need the week in between. We've I mean, we never had it before. I, I don't know. Surely, surely uh, we'd prefer to get it done sooner for, you know, even just to prevent any possible that <laughs> could come up. They're pretty tight in
0: WA, so even if they get one case, who knows what the Premier will do. Gentlemen, thanks again for joining me on In The Ballpark and pleasure to have your company. And we'll be talking prelim finals next week. Incredible.
1: Always a pleasure, sir. Amazing. Love it, boys. Thanks again.